This is a recording of our very first podcast episode. The We Cannot Work Like This team has invited two amazing speakers, Samah Hijawi and Tunde Adifioye, to have a conversation about the traces of coloniality in our art practices and life in general. Before we let you listen to this amazing first episode, we would like to thank our sponsors Engagement Arts and Flex Visitway for their support. Let's dive into this episode. So we all kind of like know each other, but not really. So maybe it would be a good thing to kind of like introduce ourselves. Um, so who would like to start? I can start. So my name is Samah Jawi and I am living in Brussels. I've been here for over seven years now and my previous life was in Jordan. I am an artist. I also lecture and I research, I write. I do all of the things that you can do in the arts, basically. <laughs> um, and my research has been uh, is constantly hovering around sort of the connection between the histories of coloniality and the history of Palestine. But for me, it's more also connected actually to the entire region. Uh, so and I work with multimedia, so I mostly have been doing performative works recently, but they do also cross over with other media. My name is Iman. I am a digital artist, graphic designer, web developer. I do a bit of everything. I also teach, kind of. Um, I am Amazir. I was born in Spain, and I think that's about it. I live in Antwerp. Yes. Hi, good evening, everyone. I'm very glad to be here with with you all. Um, so I'm Jude. Uh, I do graphic design and visual arts. My practice is a bit like focused on collecting family albums, uh, subjective stories, collective stories, and trying to find like a thread in between. Um, it's like still like a work in process, so uh, still developing and finding like different ways to like yeah visualize stories but also work together um i'm born in syria i grew up in syria and i live in belgium for seven or eight years now and i've been living in Tamsa. i don't know if samah and uh, knows about this little city but uh yeah i've been living here for the past five or six months six years months um and that would be it so i think i'll give the mic to sarah <laughs> how are you so I'm Sara and I live now in Belgium for five years and previously I lived in Brazil. My dad is Belgian and my mom is Brazilian and they were kind of also living here but my mom went back just now to Brazil. So it's we'll see uh, what we do but I plan to stay here a little bit longer. I studied in St. Lucas and uh, I do mostly visuals and I'm still looking for crossing practices and crossing uh, ways of working, but mostly I make images. I guess I'll go next. Uh, my name is Ahsia Shikha. I am a graphic designer, a visual artist, I guess. I'm still studying. I'm doing my master's in graphic design uh, in Antwerp. Uh, and I'm currently, currently researching the modernist erasure of ideas and design discipline. And at the same time, I'm trying to propose an alternative vision of beauty by exploring its importance uh, in Islamic arts. Um, I was born in Iraq and uh, 
friends there and then I came here and yeah I'm currently sitting here and that's it about me. <laughs> So my name is Tunde, and I'm the only non-artist in this whole talk, but I love art, so um, I hope you don't mind me all being here. And uh, I'm, I'm a lecturer at uh, uh, St. Lucas. I, 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 um, I'm lecturer of U.S. popular Black visual culture and cultural criticism, and I'm also doing like small things on the side. Um, I'm Jelani. Um, also a visual artist, um, mostly focused on drawing. I also went to St. Lucas, also live in Antwerp. I've, my mother is Dutch, my father is Pakistani. Um, I think that's about it. I think I met Dunde, I haven't met Sama, but I look forward to hearing from you both. All right, awesome. Thank you, everyone. In the coming hour, feel free to also ask questions like Samah and Tunde. You can also ask us questions. So let it just be like a very flowy dialogue. It doesn't have to be like a very formal thing. We do have the questions prepared. Um, I'm going to ask the first question. And then from that, we can just uh, see where it goes. We have some kind of working title for this podcast. Uh, we had to like change it a little bit because of what is happening in Palestine and everything um, in the world as well. So the, the title that we have now um, is called Traces of Coloniality in Our Art Making, Activism and the Institutions that We Are All In. And the first question is kind of like direct to Samah, but Tunde, feel free to interpret this also in your way and, and see if you maybe also have something to say or an answer. We love um, how your work embodies a lot of critical thinking and resistance. It's like kind of like the core of your uh, art making. Can you maybe talk more about the tools that help you visualize these things? Cool, thanks for the question. Um, I think this is at the heart of how I've been trying to, that question, it's been like the question that I held really close to myself, uh, especially in the last like three, four years, is what is the difference between uh, an artistic work being an activist work, being a socially engaged work, being a, you know, uh, the different tiers, because we know that artistic practices definitely have or fit into different, uh, let's call them categories for the lack of a better word for now. and. Uh, for me, I think the biggest challenge has always been, and ever since I came to live in Belgium and having to uh, be immersed in a place where you're easily boxed in as an artist of X, Y, Z place. Uh, and this is not only a condition that exists in uh, the European context, but has also been in the way curators will approach artists from the Arab world and try and present them in other places. And um, the question that I was carrying always with me is, how does an artistic work in itself uh, uh, respond to colonialities or embody uh, resistance? And it's it was really a long, especially in the last performance that I did, it was a very long process because it was a, a lecture performance. So there's a lot of words and every word was like, you know, under the microscope. Does this word speak? Uh, who does this word speak to? What does the sentence 
say? Is it there to explain something to an audience who does not know? Because this is my critique of how uh, I can fall into the trap that is created by a system that presents artists uh, as within the colonial othering. You know, I am this other from somewhere else and uh, anyone coming to see my work needs, I need to educate them about uh, Palestine or about being Palestinian or how miserable it is to be Palestinian. And I don't want to be in that box at all. I refuse it because I also feel that it, what it does is that it, um, it forces artists to reduce their, the criticality they can produce through artistic form. And that's what I did not want to fall into the trap of what I critique myself. So uh, it's really to like sit with this question and go with my gut feeling. And it's like this idea of like, we use our heads, right? And we talk, talk, talk. But then I realized at some point I was like, something doesn't really feel right here. <laughs> and I, I, did, I did like try and listen to my gut instinct on what works, what doesn't, what bothers me and why, and try and answer why and try and, continue to follow an instinctual process in making decisions about what I feel it is that I'm looking for. And I mean, yeah, hopefully satisfying myself first, but also listening to people who have the same perspective. I really love that. I really love that you separate, separate yourself from the art piece or whatever it is that you're trying to make. And you are kind of like creating this, this dialogue between you, yourself, your ego, and also like your art, and you separate those two as to not cause too much conflict, because besides those two, you also have the world and everything around you that's also like influencing whatever that you are thinking mm -hmm. of, whatever that you're trying to make, and you know, it's like sometimes it becomes too, too much, um, and I've really experienced that uh, when I was studying myself at the university where I didn't really know a lot, you know, I was not really super woke or like an activist or whatever. So it was really difficult for me to try and find my way. Mm. And it took me years to like learn to prioritize myself or like listen to myself first. And even, even now, like sometimes I do struggle. I haven't really made anything in the past year or so. So that's also a thing. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for that answer. It's, I yeah. think it puts a lot of things in perspective. Yeah, I mean, I just also just want to add very quickly that it did take a long time to get there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not something that I have been doing for a long time because we make decisions as, as um, you know, people who work within the creative field. And I'd like to just say that I find that Tunde's uh, writing is still hovering somehow also between, you know, something that's critical, but also borrowing from poetics. And so there are certain, right? I mean, we're making choices uh, all along the way. So I just want to implicate Tunde in the creative process here. <laughs> yeah, I think um, maybe one of the things that, um, yeah, I can say about that is that, um, yeah, I, I totally agree, um, Sama, that um, it's, it's not only that, um, you know, because uh, Iman, you were talking about how um, it's kind of taken a long time to find that um, wokeness or whatever. Um, I, I wouldn't even say that not only does it take a long time, um, it definitely has for me, but it's also something that's um, um, in constant fluctuation. 
you know, that you have moments where you engage with this kind of criticality, that you have moments that you engage with this sort of, you know, um, what does the colonial or um, supremacist gaze have on the way I present in the world and the way that I work in the world, you know? Um, it is, it's not to say, of course, that, you know, um, as I've been reflecting a lot, a lot, a lot, um, these days, it's not to say that, for example, back in the days, way back, um, uh, almost 20 years ago, you know, I was involved in San Diego when I lived in San Diego, um, in 2003 in the, um, um, committee against police brutality, you know, that's when I became vegan, you know, um, when I was hanging out with all these white kids who were, you know, um, anti-imperialist, um, anti-fascist and animal rights activists. You know, that's it was back then that I gained the criticality, the basis of it. But then I met I went through this whole phase where I don't know what I was doing. I was just doing my thing, you know, um, but I lived in San Francisco. So that, that kind of gave me a different type of, you know, gaze. Um, but this, 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 this sort of, I guess you can say refined sharpness, um, that maybe I have now that is still being sharpened for my own kind of, um, understanding of things. This is also actually recent. You know, um, um, this, you know, what Sama was talking about in terms of kind of the writing, that, that whole thing, that whole thing about writing and, and, um, criticizing, um, uh, supremacy is, is relatively new in kind of my trajectory. So it's just to say that not only does it take a long time, but it's, it's also something that's constantly in evolution and constantly, um, varying depending on, um, um, what you're interacting with uh, outside of yourself, right? Um, and also inside of yourself also. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'd like to add something actually here. Uh, there's a very, there's a very, indeed, uh, maybe a decision that you want to make at some point in your life that you want to pull through uh, and, and create a practice that is presented uh, in the artistic places of presentation, whatever they may be. For me, I don't know, it was never like a decision anyway. I kind of, you know, ended up uh, continuously pursuing it and finally being able to make some sort of a living out of it, but I don't trust it one bit because it's a very precarious place. But I think there is a difference between uh, defining yourself. I, I think we should liberate like defining ourselves in our, as artists or that we have a creative practice because creative practices could exist outside of the system. And that doesn't mean that you or anybody uh, does not choose to also uh, find, right? Like you were saying, sharpening those tools. I think we can sharpen those practices uh, regardless of whether we use them, you know, within. Uh, but we, I mean, they always need an audience. Maybe that's the thing that I was always like a question of, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Also, that there's something about the creative process that you need an audience, you need to imagine at least people out there who might be listening, watching, reading, or whatever, engaging with it. And so, does it resonate, right? I think resonance is very, we want to see even with a writing practice, or even Tunde in your last, you know, presentation where you were introducing somebody, you chose a very particular way of introducing someone that was very, you know, like there, there's a dedication to the fact that we want to 
you know, sometimes also I feel like we're inclined to to use particular tools and I'd love to hear what it's like for 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 all of you. I mean, you're all quiet and it's me and Tunde here. I'd love to hear from you because there is something that, you know, I think we come into this world with particular ways of communicating and that we're constantly drawn to it. It pulls us in a way as much as we make decisions, whether we have the luxury of following our instincts, our hearts, our desires, that's a whole other thing. I think we do, I mean, uh, follow them. They don't have to end up in the art market. That's that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that, that um, I think that that's a distinction that I'll probably make more of, you know, because I got this question actually uh, last week or the week before about being an art, artist or not. Um, I think I have to make the dis- distinction of, yeah, wanting to develop a uh, continuing to develop a creative practice, you know, like that's, you know, some of you know this, I've been trying to write, you know, as much as possible. And that's what I've been doing is writing a lot, you know, that's a creative practice, you know? Um, so that's something. And, and not only that, you know, we all know, or a lot of us know how important having a creative practice is to also well-being, and, and and so I think maybe that's the thing is that, I, and that's why I was very, very um, particular about, you know, talking about the, the, the role also that capitalism plays in this definition of the art and the artists, you know. Um, but maybe if we kind of um, frame it around um, or depart from the creative practice and, and kind of how um, we all should actually be encouraged to develop a creative practice. I, I think that, that that's that's maybe something that I can um, definitely find myself in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because absolutely, you know, I think of this, like I joined this meeting with this really brilliant, super sharp group of activists, okay? And there I am sitting, you know, they actually, their language are much sharper because I'm older and t- more tired maybe or whatever, my head's fuzzy. But I can see myself uh, influencing them on like, hey guys, let's let's not call it a protest, let's call it an art something. Uh, just to open it up to provide us with options and opportunities. So I think this is also where a creative process comes, comes into play. And it does counter, like we are in a super hegemonic systematic place where power structures and hierarchies are very, very on every level. But what I feel that these creative strategies, if you like them, or tools, what they do is they give us sort of ways of thinking of how we can, you know, like how we can uh, subvert, you know, even in language. When somebody does an introduction that is not expected, you know, when you listen to someone who decides to use poetry or decides to use slang or, you know, even if we just go on that, that's for me essentially what it's all about. I feel like the more we subvert is, and that needs creativity. And, and you can only learn how to be creative by allowing yourself to, to be infiltrated, to, to pursue, to, you know, in every image, every word, every, you find these like, oh, how can I go outside of the system? Which in itself, I think, embodies a decolonial practice. I mean, I'm taking it from like the tiny to the big now and throwing a little bit of a bombshell, but 
I don't know how you guys, I mean, you're all also quite uh, early on in your practices and how do you feel about it, especially from the context of, um, you know, yeah, an educational framework that is allowing you or not allowing you, you know, what are, what, what, what do you feel is, uh, is going on in a place like St. Luca Antwerp also, which you're quite connected to? But I think that's one of like the biggest reasons as to why we are doing this, like the podcast, the summer school and everything around it. The fact that we all come from these institutions has made us realize that, you know, that those places are very toxic and they really lead you into like one certain tunnel vision. Um, and if you're not careful or if you're not aware of the situation, you're really like drawn into this way of thinking that is very typical of whatever institution that you're in. I mean, there is also like during during my uh, my project that I'm working on right now, uh, which is uh, revolves around the southern Iraqi tapestries, and I try to like take inspiration from there uh, and see what's I mean what's present there, the visual documentation, the visual language that they use there, and try them to try to integrate them in a way that is you know I think like um, that speaks to the contemporary public or something I don't know, but like being um, still in an I mean in an educational context um, it's it's very yeah it's very difficult for them to to understand where I come from um, because it's always I mean you have the yeah, the usual grandmasters and Picasso one whoever and they they needs to be referenced and when you make references when I talk about um, uh, yeah or like other artists it's always like who is that and why are we referencing this person they're not taking they're not taken seriously and that's always so um, yeah I mean just really tiring to have constantly re-explain and re I mean re-educate I mean educate them in a way but they don't want to be educated. And there is always like these barriers that you have to go through from uh, there is nothing in the school libraries, for example, uh, there is always a selection and they say that it's like open source spaces, but there is obviously a selection and there is obviously, uh, I mean, yeah, people that you have to listen to and read and read on. I'd just like to speak back to that. <laughs> this is where my blood starts to be saying Arabic. <laughs> For the Levant people, my blood pressure is rising. I realize that only people in the Levant have blood pressure issues, but anyway, that's another conversation. I think that you guys should uh, uh, really throw this shit back in their face. It is unacceptable that it's 2021. That they do not know it's Tal Adnan. It's Tal Adnan was in the Tate Modern, for fuck's sake. She's not even some small person somewhere. I mean, this is unacceptable. And if they're going to accept you into their program, they have a responsibility. And this infuriates me because I was also in this situation several times. I feel like a nobody. I feel really small and I'm lost. And then I'm not productive because I'm my ego is squished, you know, and I'm just like, I feel like, fuck, where do I land in this history? And there, the history of Europe, and I said this to another person who I did an interview with, the history of Europe is based on art for art's sake. Something around the turn of the last century, around the 40s and the 50s, the United States and Europe aligned against the communist uh, bloc, Russia, 
And along with it, appropriated aesthetics. Socialist aesthetics were out because those were political. And you and me and, you know, we associate with this because we come from places where artists used, they affiliate, there's no difference between art and society. So Europe doesn't like, oh, I don't understand what you're doing. It's like, well, get your shit together. It's also political, but I really think that they have a responsibility uh, and this is what we need to push for. Sorry, I got excited as usual. <laughs> Throwing shit back at their faces, definitely, definitely <laughs> my next step, I guess. I mean, with, with this project that I'm doing, I'm also writing a thesis, I'm interviewing people and uh, talking about, like, um, for example, the Freedom Monument uh, and uh, the intentions there, which was, like, um, to go against, I mean, because Iraq was colonized by, uh, at the time and then this Freedom Monument was created after uh, its... Um, declaration of freedom and um yeah so they use these uh, uh assyrian and sumerian iconography to you know go against uh these coloniz uh, colonizations uh, that mm -hmm. had happened before that and from i mean i wanted to take a similar approach with my thesis and um i just like recently like two months ago or something decided to translate it to arabic and only arabic and have that be there mm -hmm. and have them to fucking go and translate it, <laughs> it yeah, put in the fucking effort, <laughs> fucking, re I mean, translate it and then maybe you can get it because now you do not have the right to it and you don't, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I like it, sorry, I like fuck off, but anyway, maybe sometimes it's not so useful, but I know the Freedom Monument and it's definitely within that aesthetic. There was a time where the Arab nations were building themselves and they wanted to find something that was Arab. They were always asking themselves, what makes our art ours? And that's where things like uh, that monument came up. So, yeah. Um, I guess um, for me, I mean, um, I'm really interested in what you have to say about this. Uh, um, Sarah and Jelani. Um, um, so if y'all have something to say, I'll, I'll wait for my comment. Uh, well, I, I agree with the, a lot of <laughs> with everything that was said here. And my, I, I think my project was a little bit different in the sense of, I, I realized quite later after my study or during my study, but not, uh, not really getting the right references or tools to to do what I wanted. So when I made my master project, I was really unaware of a lot of things. And I wanted to also ask myself things that I liked and things that I heard from my childhood and deal with stories that I had heard, but talking about them with, uh, with the people from the school didn't really like it didn't bring me further from where I was. So I, I think in that way, I, I limited myself also to do something that um, maybe was, would talk, like would uh, maybe reproduce better what I thought was beauty or, or the story that I wanted to tell. You know, I, the story I chose at that time was one 
it was based on an indigenous myth in Brazil. And whenever I, uh, whenever I worked around that at school, it was like, ah, so you're choosing like Brazilian mythology, like Greek mythology. But I felt also that there was something weird around that because in the same way, it's not mythology, but it's stories of different cultures that were also living in Brazil. But I didn't know and I, uh, and I, how to deal with that also that, that colonial history in Brazil. And that's something that I still, uh, I'm still trying to understand and how it affects also the now and my presence here also. So, yeah, but it's, it's in the end, it's about, I think also that struggle between, um, what is, when you're making something, is it for your, um, like not for art for art's sake, but I think even though I will not get it right in the first time, the process of doing it has led me further. So I can look back now and think there's so many things about this that I now dislike or that I think can, I can improve, but it's, yeah. I think sometimes I feel even crushed about those expectations I have about things I have to make now and I have to be, or I have to say, and overthinking about it is just like, it doesn't help. So I don't know, I think I'm laying kind of low and just learning, listening, reading, and making things now and then to see where it goes, following my instinct. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would maybe say that I also recognize a lot of what's been brought up already, um, that it, like, it feels like often a quite isolating and limiting experience, um, having certain questions, you know, trying to find certain answers, but not um, having the access um, to the resources, whether that's, you know, uh, art history, whether it's the canon, whether it's the, the teachers, um, the resources of the schools. Um, in that sense, it can be quite limiting and, and isolating to, to not be able to explore the direction that you want to explore. Um, I think that is for me one of the most like, yeah, prominent issues. If I think back to my, my time in school and it was only like, I think at the end of, of my studying period that I, you know, started to actually, you know, get to know other people, you know, here in the chat as well, um, who were actually trying to deal with the same issues, um, trying to ask these same kinds of questions. Um, so I think that's what I, I would have to say about it. I'm thinking also now it's, it's also about like, I, I think it could have been such a more, even so much richer period being at school. If certain things were already brought up or there was a, already like a huge broad context to see, to learn from history, art history. And then, then being, I, I, it's also, as a student, you have to be independent and also go out of your way to look at things and read things. But 
yeah maybe I, maybe I, we started quite early and we weren't there yet we weren't that independent yet and this only came in the last year of school and okay i can i can live with that part of the you know of the i i can do the work myself i understand that now i see that now okay but i i still think that there is a responsibility from school to also at least open up uh, roads, different, many different roads, so that you can, since the beginning, already be like, there is so many possibilities, but it felt quite limiting in the beginning. Yeah, I think it's unfair to say that it's only what you put into it that you get back. I think it's, it should be maybe more a reciprocal, mutual exchange. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, my experience is also similar to what, what's shared so far. Um, uh, I think I started this uh, practice of collecting uh, family um, uh, pictures and albums when I uh, for my master's when I was still in St. Lucas. Yeah, I began my practice when I was in, um, uh, for it was a, a mass, my master's project uh, when I was in St. Lucas, and I started collecting family images and um, from family members who are in Syria and also like in different places, um, mainly for ourselves to like collect, yeah, the very scattered, uh, stories, um, of our families, of ourselves. Um, and, um, yeah, it started to grow as I started to see like more people, um, as I started to see, like, it was not just like a personal experience, uh, but also a collective experience that we were having. So, um, uh, I started to do this, uh, in St. Lucas and, uh, with the main purpose of, uh, collecting them and trying to understand, um, I mean, our different cultures, but also the histories of different cities and different peoples living under, um, this like dictatorial regime of the, the Assad system and um, how that affects our memories and relations to ourselves and each other, um, but also how that looks like and how it also affects all these different relations. Um, when we're like firstly, um, we have we had to like firstly migrate to like different places. So like how I mean, trying to reflect on all these different um, emotions, memories, and also relations through these albums. Um, and my experience, uh, with the teachers, like they were like seeing the importance of it, but also like from a very, uh, exotic place or just like, um, wanting to like consume tra like traumatizing stories. Uh, so they were like very intrusive, very violent in their questions, for example. Um, to like share more traumatic stories when it was not about that at all. So I had to learn how to put boundaries there and, and what it is exactly that I want to say at that moment in that place. Um, and what it is, what it is that, uh, that I want to keep for myself or for the community. So there was a lot of things that had to do with how to talk about things that are very personal, very important to me in a place that is so violent in itself. Um, and that wants to box me or want to like really eat up like really specific parts of me, um, or like has a lot of projections. Um, so I did a lot of experiments with like tryouts with, with translation, with like layering, uh, with video work, with printing. Um, so, um, so I'm, I'm continuing this practice now that I'm not in the institution anymore, but I still find the same kind of 
limitations and different like experiencing the same kind of limitations in different ways i think there's still a lot of anger or a lot of frustration that is still like somewhere in me <laughs> um as i like still, like try to find visual ways of um putting things in public or like stories or try to like speak when i put things in public but um yeah just like recently i'm finding it's very difficult to to visualize anything or to, to really like develop anything um i think there's also a lot of pressure expectations or also responsibility on like it has to be right it's like we're dealing with a lot of stories here um, that are very intimate, that are very personal. Um, there's so much resilience, so much strength, so much beauty, so much poetics in there. There's also a lot of pain in there. So how do we deal with that and put it also in a public space? So um, and like trying to deal with all these different questions very carefully and in a sensitive way. There's also, yeah, like there's fear as well. And like, what if something goes wrong or what if this is interpreted in a different way so and there's and then there's these kind of limitations or expectations that are really comes like really harsh so um so what i'm trying to do now is just like trying to take it really slow and trying to read and just um do things that are unrelated or that i don't have to think so much and just like do to practice some of like uh, to take the pressure away and just like do something um and I feel like uh, a lot of these emotions and a lot of these, like very, yeah, it's like a very, very intense emotions were also like um, brought up um, with everything that is uh, happening and everything that we're seeing happening in Palestine and uh, remembering and just like um, also from my own position, like um, like the relations as well and trying to understand the relations in the, in the Levant between Syria and Palestine and trying to reflect on all of that, like it brings a lot of emotions. And then I read like um, what you said in the beginning, Samah, about like how to react or what do we say and what do we not say and what visual arts can do or what we can do and what we cannot do. Like it really resonates with what I'm in, in right now. So that would be where I am. <laughs> but someday you had something to say. <laughs> I, I, Sama had, she would, uh, you wanted to say something real quick, Sama. Do you want to say something to her? Oh, okay. no, I mean, you know, like a lot of what y'all are saying really resonated. Um, um, you know, and I think you put it really well, all of y'all. Um, you know, but one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot is uh, you called it, uh, you called it emotion. You know, I'm thinking a lot about energy, of course. You know, like I don't have so much energy these days. And there's also a lot of people who maybe don't have a lot of energy. Um, um, we have limited en energy, basically. I have a lot of energy, but I'm thinking about how to direct that energy in places where I don't have to deal with supremacy, you know, where I don't have to deal with coloniality. That's really kind of my focus. And that's part of why I'm staying indoors a lot these days, kind of protect, you know, um, this kind of feeling that I have, you know, the soul kind of, you know, needing to to rest, right? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about energy and how to um, subvert outside of, yeah, these these different gazes that, you know, um, at the same time that, you know, these, these gazes are, you know, um, 
um, preparing for the meal, preparing for the eating of the other, you know, they're also erasing, you know, um, so this erasure that happens, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to stay away from that. Uh, but continue to create, continue to build, right? And, and, and the way that I'm doing that is really kind of finding ways to, when possible, quietly subvert. Um, and part of the way I do that, you know, um, is through, you know, for example, never, I've, I hardly ever, when I give a talk, um, or when I write, I hardly ever, um, reference, you know, um, people who are not um, individuals of color, right? Um, people who are not from, you know, within this context, you know, individuals who are marginalized, right? Um, um, so I, I mostly kind of focus on, you know, what I know, of course, you know, which is mostly um, Black folks, you know, um, and using that as a reference point. Whether or not people have questions, that's their problem. You know, um, kind of like what you were saying, who's saying, you know, they got to look it up, you know, um, and I never, you know, like I've given talks and speeches uh, in different places and I've never in the last three or four years apologized for that. You know, I show I show an image. I always work with image, you know, that's an, and I always work with photos, you know, of the people that I'm talking about, you know, and take it, take it as a given that people know these people, although I know they don't know who um, uh, for example, um, um, who I'll, I'll, I'll say Sadia Hartman is, for example, you know, um, but I expect them to, to know that, um, but I don't ask any questions. I just keep all going, you know, um, if it's not in a, of course, if it's not in a class context, you know, um, you know, just to kind of say, you know, these are the canons that y'all ain't paying attention to. And I'm not going to translate for you. I'm not going to be the one that translates for you. Um, so that, that, that's, that's really kind of, you know, my, my kind of focus. Actually, that's what drives when I'm, I guess you could say creating or when I'm talking to different, uh, in different contexts. Um, another thing I wanted to kind of say in terms of, um, uh, what you were saying, and, um, 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 Sadri, um, also you said it a little bit too, Jude, uh, um, you know, uh, cause Sadri, you were talking about going back to your childhoods you know, and using that as a reference, you know, um, and that, that for me is really crucial, you know, so that's why I brought up the example of Sadia Hartman, you know, because, um, it's funny before we started this talk, I, I made the notes of wayward, wayward cartographies, you know, um, so I'm really interested in this idea of, you know, um, uh, kind of, um, a cartography, a, a cartography of the wayward in a way. And how do we um, center those individuals that, you know, um, because of the context that we live in, have been seen as the wayward, has been, have been seen as those who do not belong um, in the center of our discussions, you know. So that's why I talk a lot about, you know, um, not talk a lot about, you know, but try to focus um, on this idea of, you know, um, people's ability to survive as opposed to the kind of push for resilience, you know, 
Um, so what does it mean to um, have individuals or come from communities where you've been forced to survive and that survival has kept you alive, you know, generation after generation, you know, and kind of that, you know, using that language um, to talk about this kind of wayward photography. So anyways, just kind of some sort of things that came up um, while you're, y'all were talking. Yeah, I also was thinking that there's, um, there is a, there is an advantage also to think about it, that it's not only a compromising, it's difficult and it's isolating and it's unfair and it makes you furious and lost and all of those things. But at the same time, you actually straddle two worlds and that's not a position that everybody has. Uh, so the fact that you speak more than one language, have lived through different contexts and cultures and realities and geographies is actually very, very powerful because uh, you see differently and you, you've learned more than one, let's say, language, art history language, language in its very basic sense. You've heard stories and narratives and, and mythologies and all of that from very different contexts. So actually people like us have a lot more than the people who are absolutely lost because they live such a comfortable life and they've always had it easy and they've never had to fight for anything. So there is this, I think, uh, power, definitely. And, um, and that's, that's in a, in a way to, to realize that, that it's not all bad, <laughs> you know, it's shitty, but it's also, you know, you're just like, you know, man, I know a lot more than you about your culture and the entire European history and the Middle Eastern one. And while I'm at it, I was actually interested in the Indian body, body, body. Because actually, this is the very interesting thing about people who live outside of Europe and to some degree outside of the United States, depending on your bearings. I don't know, Tunde, how you feel about that. But I just like the Bedouin in Wadi Ram knows more about European history than an average educated person in in the in a central city like Brussels. The guy knows a lot, you know, and has traveled more than anybody else. And you're just like, don't you reduce the Bedouin ever, as you should not also reduce. I mean, that's the problem. We're constantly in the eyes of somebody who thinks Brazilian mythology is exotic and it's you know, and we've seen it through the camera lens of some documentary, I don't know, anthropologist on TV, on Arte or whatever canvas. So, but we have uh, an advantage also. We have, we just need to be uh, strong about it and we need to follow our instinct on the things that we're connecting. And that's very beautiful. A lot can come out of that. So. That's what I just wanted to sort of share with you guys also, because I heard you all thinking and, and reflecting on where you are and, and yeah. Um, I, I just, just some real quick. I mean, you know, um, I think you're right. So right about the, the, the Bedouin, you know, um, um, and it, it, it's, it's similar, but not the same, you know? Um, and I think um, when I walk into the world, um, I walk into the world um, with a sort of, um, um, knowing, um, sort of, um, um, knowing sort of, um, what's the word? Confidence 
Um, I never knew I was confident, but people would tell me like, wow, you, you always like, not now, but you know, they would tell me in the past, like, you, you seem so confident, but I didn't know why, but now I know why. And it's exactly this, that, you know, um, like the Bedouin, I knew something that, you know, the dominant culture uh, didn't know. I knew about the fact that, you know, embodied in me was, you know, uh, the Jenkins, you know, um, being enslaved in, 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 a, in a plantation in Mississippi, embodied in me is um, Mama Ife, who used to wake up in Ileife, you know, um, the the to to go, you know, chop, you know, wood down in the, in the lumber, you know, in the homeland of you know Ifa that gave birth to Candomblé and Santeria and you know Fudu, you know, so so all of that lives within me. I can vocalize that. You know, I didn't know that before. I can vocalize that now. So that's the confidence that I walk into the world in. I mean, in, into depending on the space. That's really important. If I'm in a, if I'm in a, you know, in, in, at a, you know, uh, institution like you know um, St. Lucas, whatever. Like I walk in knowing that I know. You know, and you can't tell me anything. You know, um, I had to write. I don't know why, but I wrote down this small quote um, from um, from um, this one of my favorite um, um, Entosage Shange, the, uh, a writer, the writer who wrote uh, um, 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 for colored girls who uh, considered uh, suicide when the rainbow was enough. Uh, there's a there's a there's a line that says, "My name is Tucson, and I don't take no mess from nobody." You know, and so you know, like that's that's my existence in in the world uh, most of the time, especially in spaces that are still controlled by you know coloniality, in spaces that still have a dominant supremacy, you know, that runs it. You know, so uh, just wanted to say, just wanted to say that, you know, kind of thinking also about James Baldwin and what he says about, you know, um, we've had to learn about, you know, Napoleon. We've had to learn about, you know, JFK, you know, um, but it's not always the same, you know, like folks don't know about, you know, Bela Kuti or, you know, these individuals, you know, people don't know about this and don't know about the essence of, of them, you know. So anyway, it's just going off of that uh, Bedwin uh, thing you were saying. Yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, also one other thing that I sort of like, it's a bit like someone who discovers their voice or whatever. But uh, I always had this thing, and maybe you guys relate to it, I don't know. But I would always have anger. It's like anger, like, you know, but I would suppress it. Because uh, whatever I wanted to say, there was at least a thousand things. Between the fact that I'm here is your fault, by the way. You know, and starting from there, map out a huge colonial history, tell them how they're white supremacist morons who don't know anything that the Bedouin knows. So anyway, la, 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 which probably wouldn't make sense, but I would be ranting, I would look like a mad woman. And I didn't quite, wasn't sure that I wanted to look like a mad woman. I was like, oh, fuck. But there is um, an eloquence and anger, which James Baldwin, I mean, we've seen a little bit of his films, we've seen some of the videos and footage, you know, there's like moments where he's like, his eyes are going to pop out of his skull. He's mad. But this anger that comes from boiling emotion is real. And I think we have to allow it space to exist. And by opening our mouths and saying what we want to say, we will fine tune it every time. We might not get it right the first or the second time, but the third time you will find yourselves 
honing it, ah, I shouldn't have said that sentence, next time I'm going to say that, because of course we rant in our heads all the time, fuck this shit, you said, I said, you know, it's like, but these, this is a very powerful tool that the people who've written and, and sang and danced before us did, they harnessed this anger, they allowed it to come out. And this is what we, I really feel like it's good to show emotion and I don't care if the, you know, the Belgians are shy. It's not my problem that you're shy. I'm not. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm not going to change it now. So sorry. You can kick me out of the country if you want. But. <laughs> well, that will not happen. We will not let that happen. Um, <laughs> never, ever. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Um, I hate to be a party pooper, but we've been talking over an hour. We have a lot of questions still. There are also a lot of personal questions. Maybe eight. I should dare to ask the question, would you guys like to go for another 15 minutes or... I don't mind. Well, in, in those 15 minutes, um, I just want to allow the people who had personal questions to ask them. You never know when we will see each other next time. Uh, probably sooner than we think, but... Hopefully. <laughs> just in case. Well, I already mentioned uh, the Freedom Monument and the thesis, the thesis that I'm writing. and. Um, yeah, I had a question about that um, to you, Sama, more specifically. So I'm just going to reread it. So while examining the Freedom Monument by Jawad Salim, uh, I learned about his use of ancient Sumerian and Assyrian iconography to tell a political reality of Iraq in the middle uh, of the 20th century. To use Sumerian iconography for storytelling at that time was a way for Iraq to overcome colonial influences Western societies had brought upon Iraq. Thus making the usage of this imagery not only aesthetical, but also a tool of resistance. I see these decolonial expressions present in a lot of Palestinian practices and even in the everyday. While reflecting on my own context in the diaspora, I wonder how can these expressions can, uh, be used to tackle our own realities, which are, which are as we all know. Uh, that's a very good question. So your question specifically is how can we use these iconographies, these like go back and look into our own histories as a way to tackle the way we're, the, the place we're in now. I think knowing your history is, is a really good thing. I think that's, I mean, I, I know from Tunde that he does a lot, like he's, we can, we can hear that awesome that he says he knows his history. And, and if I may compare, because it's, here, uh, our history has not been published enough, and over the years it's also been burnt and demolished and stolen, etc. etc. So, we have a much harder job than maybe a people who are now able to come together in the United States, for example, and Europe. So, we have a much bigger battle. I'll just tell you that when I went to do my master's in 2004 in London, there were three books on Arab art. In the library so i was like i held them like oh my people and i went on a search and that's where i started that's where i started to ask about my history and understand what did i want from this history it's a problematic history as well sultan hussein was funding a lot we don't like sultan <laughs> you know bathist party syria iraq let's not go there so there are problems but this is our history so we need to read into it there is a lot of material and for me, it was very helpful to look into this history uh, because from it, I was able to choose. And I think this is what we need this 
In order to choose our language and our reference points, we need to have more than one. So you, we now have the European one, it's the dominant one for now. But if you go back to these histories, you at least know what you're speaking back to. And I'm happy to talk to you a little bit more personally also along that trajectory of what I know of contemporary, modern, and pre-modern artists and what they were doing. Because it's a very beautiful, Iraq is a, I, it's like, oh, they were also like, they were damn good philosophers, you know? They went off on tangents, but you know, they, they did have a pretty impressive influence for a while. So that's, that's my take on it. I don't know if Tunde has a, a reflection on that. No, I, I, um, I don't have anything to add. You, I think you said it very well. And also the kind of important, yeah, you said it really well, actually, you know, this kind of work that still has to be done. But uh, maybe the only thing I would say to that is that, you know, yeah, I think about, you know, um, Palestinian history, you know, and I think about, you know, um, mostly Palestinian history, um, um, because that's the one that's closest to what I know. But, you know, you, you can, it, it of course applies to what people know, what they think they know about Iraqi history also, you know. Um, but a, apart from that, it's just the work that we all have to do of unearthing, mm-hmm. you know, non-dominant discourses. Once again, Sadia Hartman, you know, 2019, that book came out, you know, and, and told a beautiful story, a necessary story about, you know, um, people living in the margins of society. So how do we not get, sorry, this is the word that comes to mind. How do we get, how do we not get bamboozled by what dominant society says is your history? You know, like we know James Baldwin and still love James Baldwin, you know, um, but how come how come it's only now that we're just knowing about, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, you know, one of the most important writers of the early 1900s, you know, who happened to be lesbian or queer, at least, you know, um, and how do we unearth those histories? You know, um, I love this beautiful example um, of, um, I think, Julia Wright, the daughter of Richard Wright, you know, who went back into the archives of Yale to pull out um, her father's last book um, at the age of 80 something just published the book um, a few months ago, you know, um, referencing what was what's going what was going on back in the 50s and 60s around police um, brutality, you know, um, um, that's so much so, so, so relevant today. So anyways, it's just, you know, like that really resonates, you know, um, I think, you know, um, there's more work to be done in terms of what is this you know, um, Palestinian history. What else do we need to know? What more do we need to know? But there's always work that needs to be done if we don't allow ourselves to be bamboozled by the dominant narrative of what our history should be, you know, because I'll leave it there. I won't say nothing anymore, you know. I mean, you know, just because, I mean, you know, like if we are allowed to, maybe I should finish it, if we are allowed to believe it, we'll continue living in this kind of um, myth that, you know, um, Martin Luther King went to the mountaintop and then the rest was solved, you know. But, you know, what about um, Baynard Rustin, you know, um, the gay man who was told that he could not make a speech 
in the at the 1965 you know march on washington you know um what about ella ella baker who helped organize the march on washington you know so unearthing these things is our work is the work that we still have to you know uh uh do you know um anyways yeah no thank you a lot i think you guys definitely answered and went beyond yeah my answer my question was answered as well so we can also go to the next question <laughs> thank you so much um i, I think sarah you had a question well i think it was also i mean i i can repeat it but it was also answered uh, okay some but if, if you like uh can we hear it please yeah i can i can read it from whatsapp <laughs> um yeah so uh, specifically like so we're talking about all these different histories and how they are affected by colonial colonialism and do you do you to do you seek to connect these different yet similar experiences in your artistic or writing practice i i mean this is already answered personally i find it very difficult to like synthesize the many layers of an individual and collective experience into one image as a visual artist. And I noticed, uh, for example, Samach, you use many different media in your work, but you have a lot of work that is departing from collage. So like, can you tell us more about like the limited, the limits and the possibilities uh, behind medium and aesthetic choices that you make? Thanks, that's a good question. Uh, just to like a disclaimer, I kind of like stumbled into collage. I never was a conscious choice, but I started in 2007 to use it actually with people. Uh, I was curious like if I gave people a lot of like whatever media images and I said, would you like to make a collage of whatever you consider home, what it would look like? It was an ambitious project because I was like really downtown Amman, you know, and these guys are, it's just, you know, I was, <laughs> I ended up in these like utopian stuff, like, can I give people a suit? But that started, it started, collage started there. And it really, it was, I could say this is one of the instinctual things that I never made a decision about it. It was just something I kept picking up and realizing that it also represents the way I think the way I see the world. So when I collage a Bruegel alongside, you know, a, a Palestinian landscape, that's how I see a Bruegel painting. I don't see it only in its form and shape and its history. And so I think it was sort of one of those processes that just like, I was just like, why don't you just collage what you see? Just do it the way you see it. And what's beautiful about collage is that it, it does have, it's playful, uh, you know, there's also this thing because I like playfulness and I like to be, I like to poke a bit. So specifically with the Bruegel, that upset a lot of people, you know, I was tearing out of an art history book of the Royal Museum of Brussels. So I was like, Psht! and they were like, oh, you tore the book. I was like, yeah, fuck the book, fuck all the books for that matter. You know, I was a bit like, damn these books that are like you know they come like fat and they've got like covers and it's a bit i mean you know you can trace the holy book back also to religion so 
You know, it's also a little bit, if you really want to meditate on this, it is a bit on that. But yeah, quite simply, I think the limitations of collage, particularly in the way that I was doing it with the performance, was to really have to think simultaneously through language as I'm speaking while I'm trying to make an image. And that was really like a mental, like really using the two parts of my brain as it were. But I still enjoy it. I think it's a medium that um, I feel comfortable with. I, I feel like it does express these very uh, difficult things that I don't know how else to make them meet. And I feel also, particularly with that performance of Godfrey, I was asking questions through those images. But yeah, you say that's quite recent actually that you started to work with collage. Like, how did you express yourself before? So I was trained as a painter and I did painting up until I went to London and then I was completely lost because <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. I even asked the people of Central St. Martin's, very big hot school, and I was like, what am I doing here? I have no idea what they're talking about. And uh, the application form actually triggered something in me because in the application form it said, how does your work connect to post-war art? And I really, the first question was, which war? <laughs> I didn't know what war they were talking about. So I realized from then on that actually this is, this is what Eurocentric means. It means that they only have one reference to a war. And London was very traumatic, I would say, very difficult, but I survived and I finished. Uh, and I couldn't produce for a year after that. I was just, it was too much. There's too much of feeling alienated, unrepresented, completely lost, trying to, at the time, there was not much written about Arab art. So I was also fumbling a lot around that. What was my history? And then from then on, I started to explore with different media. And then that's in 2007 was the first time I actively used collage uh, in, in this public intervention with people. And then when I look back at my practice, I see that now collage just keeps coming up. So I realized that it was a, uh, it was not a decision. Uh, only until recently did I realize that I have to actually acknowledge that collage is both in image and in the way I construct my narratives is very much, I have to use it with intention because then I can fulfill its full power. Because if you really watch what word, what story you collage into another, then you're really creating what now people call critical fabulation, but which comes from my own, uh, let's say artistic history of the um, the use of fact and fiction, particularly in the Lebanese uh, performance world. And, um, and that anyway, my reality is full of fact and fiction. And that's how we use our language in Arabic. That's how we tell our stories. Our stories are full of like, they're really like a bit of a, you know, you really have to keep track of the way people, they don't finish sentences. They slap, slap because they've got too much to say. And you got to fill in the gaps or figure it out. So there, I started to learn over time that uh, this is the reason why I fall back on collages also because in some way I've lived through this verbal and image history, but also in the way I see the world. So, yeah. Um, but I was just going to say, um, just kind of not really connected to that, um, um, but I, I, I really appreciate kind of this 
um, you didn't call it that, Sama, but this kind of, you know, um, pointing to the non-linearity of our lives, you know, um, um, and, and how important it is to preserve that. Um, and, and sort of kind of connected to that, but not really is kind of what you said, um, said is this understanding of um, individual and collectivity. Is that what you asked? Uh, collective, oh my gosh. I mean, I think about that so much. <laughs> it's like dominate my life, you know, like, um, um, you know, I don't know what you meant by that. Um, maybe you can clarify. Yeah. 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 I mean, the individual as you, as a person, mm -hmm. unique, beautiful as you are. Mm -hmm. And then you're also part of so many intersectional realities and so you you can say i speak for myself but at the same time i speak for so many other things and mm -hmm. about family history so that's that's the thing and also when you make or when you write something there is all that baggage all not baggage but ancestry history history yeah. behind you yeah so, bone flesh blood yeah mm -hmm. and it's a it's a thing so it's it's like you were saying uh, know your history which is a long way of course to yeah to learn about that i don't think we can wait until we know that to start saying something or to start making something yeah yeah no okay i'm glad you thanks for clarifying that that's really actually be, be pretty profound you know because i mean it resonates a lot with kind of where i am these days and someone knows this you know kind of thinking about you know i use the word community a lot you know thinking about community and thinking about what it means or doesn't mean to me anymore and trying to redefine it you know because for me um there was a point when community was everything you know Community was everything. And now um, community is still, you know, like I do the work that I do because I know there are people, right? There are people that I connect with. There are people that I see who aren't, you know, um, in certain spaces that they should be in. You know, that's where my part, my work departs from, you know. But what I'm trying to understand better now for myself is what is the community? And what are, maybe less, what is the community and what are the communities? What are the communities that are unique to me? You know, um, because, you know, I, I need to, at least for me, the work that I have to kind of continue to do for myself is reminding myself that my, my community is not tied to um, this space and now, that my communities are tied to San Francisco. My communities are tied to Galveston, Texas. My communities are tied to Ilefa. You know, and really, you know, I think the hard work that we, the, the work for some of us, you know, more than others, you know, um, especially not to knock Instagram or TikTok, you know, we forget to sometimes carry those communities with us. We forget that those communities are the ones that fed us till to get us to the point that we are now, you know, um, we forget and we forget, you know, so that, I think that that's the harder work and, but that's the most important work that we need to do if we're to be sustained, you know, in all of the sort of, you know, um, 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 violence that still kind of exists, um, the violence that we do to others and the violence that we that is done to us, you know, um, 
by, you know, um, um, structures, institutions, um, and by hegemoning, you know. Um, so anyways, I can go, yeah, communities and individuals, such an important concept, but I'll, I'll stop there. I'm going to just maybe uh, uh, also, because I understood the question a little bit differently, and so I want to chime in, as they say. There's also within the role, this is uh, also thinking a little bit about uh, what Jude was saying with all of this material that you carry with you, especially after such an, you know, such an exodus, such a displacement, such loss, so, I mean, and, and, and trauma and trauma and trauma. Um, we carry, I mean, I have a Palestinian history, so it's like we were watching it. It's, uh, I, I, uh, I relate. But Sarah, I also think that we have, um, in our individual stories, as Tunde was saying, we carry all of these things anyway. We have to have the courage to trust that if we stay true to ourselves, we are representing the, the, the community. And I think this trust the more we give it to ourselves, surround ourselves, as Tunde was also saying, with people who are uh, the right place, walking into a place where you know that you can speak and that you're safe, and creating those spaces and realizing that you carry that story, that you have that confidence. It's not the easiest one. I suffered for a very long time because I felt like I, I was representing and speaking about people who are still being colonized. It's the only colony in the world. This is huge. Like, you can't say Palestine once before somebody either hiding under the table or shouting or <laughs> jumping or. So it's a lot. But that's how I um, felt like I would like to add to that question is that we do carry it. It's just about finding the different ways that we want to speak about it and giving ourselves, uh, cutting ourselves some slack that we might not get it the first time. Uh, you know, you said that, which I really appreciate is to be gentle, like I'm trying to figure out how, let's see how I can do it, to do it slowly, don't make it so big, uh, surround yourselves by the people you want to see this work and you want to hear from them what they have to say and slowly make it a safer place, bigger and bigger, because if you're going to walk into a room with like, for the lack of a better word, white people, and try and present something that they don't relate to, you're going to be so disappointed, hurt. And and then what do you do with all of the work and the thoughts and the reading and the you know research that you've done? So I don't feel like we're still in the right place to uh, present our work to anybody. We have to be very uh, thoughtful about, like, I need that make demands. I need this because it is violent. I've had, like, <laughs> you know, and I rant as I told you, and people know me more and more. And I think this comes with age. I don't give a shit. I just like, no, 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 no. And I do lectures and I put my finger and my voice goes up and I have no shame anymore because they will never forget what I say when I get angry. And I need to make sure that it's the right people speaking to me about my work because I can't, I'm too fragile. It's too fragile making any creative process. You feel like, is this the right word? Does this image work? I have so much, I mean, come on, we like, you can sleep and like have sleepless nights over, should it be pink or should it be blue? 
you know? That's the way we work. So we are in very, very fragile places. Our egos, our entire life, our whole story, our emotions are all poured into this. And along comes someone's like, I don't understand. Can you tell me about Palestine? I was like, no. <laughs> so, but just back to the individual and the collective, but that would be also my response on it. Yeah, um, I couldn't help but start thinking about, I don't know why I went here, but the role of being a modern day immigrants, you know, and, and how that, um, positions uh, our, our, our experiences actually, and how, you know, um, we pack our, you know, in packing our bags, we pack our communities with us, you know, um, and how, we had this conversation last summer, right? Summer about, you know, we were giving each other a really hard time about what is community and what isn't and how you were saying how, you know, sometimes you don't feel like, you know, certain individuals um, of color speak to your reality, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I think it's a really important discussion to have and to think about on, 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 you know, whatever spectrum or whatever, um, wherever, uh, side of the spectrum that you sit on, you know, to think about what our privileges are and how, you know, being rooted, you know, even if it's only second or third generation, being rooted in this place gives a different type of privilege. It gives a different type of privilege, um, than when you don't know if, you know, the visa that you're applying for will be, you know, um, granted, right? You know, and what, 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 what that does, you know, anyway, so I was, I was just kind of thinking about, about that because we didn't, th- we didn't talk about this. Of course, we don't have to, we don't have to talk about everything, but it was just something that came up as you we were uh, talking in terms of the individual and the collective. It's also a really good point. I'm really glad you bring it up because this is also something that's going on, like going back full circle to the being engaged with like activists, particularly from Palestine and, and talking about precisely this, that we are also carrying our baggage and our places and that we even, you know, we also have to admit that the, um, the, the situation in Belgium, just to, I, I can't find all the right words for it, but the situation in Belgium is that People from the eastern side of the world, just to make it simple, are not still represented in the colonial discourse and the Black Lives Matters movement. And I've even said to Tunde once, I said, I don't identify as a person of color. I, I know I should, I should I fit into this category. But if someone says that, I don't feel like they're talking about me. And that this perhaps has to be addressed as, as to how we collectively understand our different realities and that even if um Tunde might see me as a person of color if i don't see myself as a person of color then how do we make sure that these spaces that we're talking about we build together a, a nuanced understanding of these different realities that we've come from as migrants but also i like just people who are diaspora and that's also taking us out of labor or, or war because <laughs> those two are a bit, you know, you're not a refugee. Because I was thinking the other day, there's refugee, there's migrant. And then I say, yeah, or maybe we should add to the table diaspora and that can liberate us from both. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, just, um, I like to, but anyway, yeah, I want yeah, yeah, to yeah. add to that in yeah. that um, framework because 
there's a lot being done by the um, you know what's been what's been set up let's say generally by the Black Lives Matters movements movements of all of their different ones and the queer right movements uh, but I still feel like I'm like guys you I mean you can like somebody so eloquently said he's like you cannot talk about coloniality if Palestine is not in the center of that because it is an ongoing coloniality. And so there I was like, ah, see, one simple sentence gives me the understanding of why I cannot still hook myself into this and why I feel like I'm outside of it. Anyway, yeah. we could do this. Like, how about we do a three hour session? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just going to I was going to say something real quick, if you don't mind me saying is, um, I mean, you, you're so right, you know, um, and we definitely need to talk about, you know, yeah, this kind of idea of the diaspora, you know, um, more often. Um, um, there was something else that I, I was going to say. Oh, yeah, it was a, there was a really great podcast, actually. Um, um, I shared this earlier this week, actually, that was talking exactly about this. You know, uh, it's called Code Switch. And they were talking about the term BIPOC. Right. You know, um, so, you know, black indigenous person of color. But then, you know, there's a Latinx host on there and they said, OK, you know, why don't we call it uh, Bill Pop? Um, because they forgot the Latinx folks, you know, you'll always forget people. So that's why, you know, one of them was saying that's why it's important to name it. If you mean black, say black. If you mean Palestinian, if you mean Arabic, say it. You know, um, it's so funny because I remember I didn't even think about it. I was just like, oh, yeah, all the cool activist kids, you know, are saying BIPOC now. So I, I, I have to try to say BIPOC, you know, and I did not question it. I did not question it until I heard this podcast last week that, oh, yeah, where did when did BIPOC become a thing? You know, um, apparently it was just this summer, you know, but I just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're saying it. So if I want to be woke, I better start saying BIPOC. But no, actually, if we want to, if we mean Syrian, we better say Syrian, you know, because otherwise we're erasing, you know, certain individuals, certain identities and certain stories that come with, for instance, you know, whoever, you know what I mean? I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> Let's not encourage me to, to get into an intellectual discussion on language. <laughs> we can go on. But I also want to say for the sake of this conversation, and I would love to hear from you guys now is I also feel like the naming is an American thing. And what if we wanted to think differently? I mean, how far are we gonna go? The list is bloody long. You're gonna start getting into the Arab world. There's 22 nations over there. We haven't even touched Africa or Central Asia. And before you know it, we're just naming letters and coming up with all these. Do we need it is my question. Can we not universalize? Can we just not be one people of whatever diasporas or or i don't know whatever it's just it, i'm playing the devil's advocate because i feel at the end of the day what is also happening is that i have said this probably before is that we're in a western western discourse we're still there so we follow and i, I mean america produces brilliant brilliant uh uh, uh it paves the way all the time and i can see you know europe's like Oh, what did they say? Okay, let's go. I yes, yes, don't forget to say. Now, BIPOC, B-I-L, but I don't know, add all the letters. But maybe we can now uh, shift out of that, even if we try to do it as individuals, 
to find, I don't know, I put diaspora on the table, but what would you guys, like, how do you guys feel about this? Oh my God, we have talked about this and I will, I, I forgot the exact words, but I will just say it. <laughs> uh, I've also talked with this with other people um, and it is actually, because the, the person that I talked to was a like a scientist, so it was someone who went through academia and whatever, and he was really talking to me about this term um, in, in in sciences where when they are researching something, they really have to, you know, name the things from A to Z. And that's the way we actually all think because we are like shaped into into thinking that way. There is a term for it. There is a specific word that makes everything clearer, but I, I just, my, my brain is blank. <laughs> so I, I forgot. But this is also something that I think I've, I th I've talked with uh, Jude because uh, me and her have this connection of uh, having had work um, that talks about you know our heritage and our histories and when when I was uh, doing my research at university about my own history I remember I was trying to categorize all of these symbols because it was about like the Amazigh symbolism that uh, I'm not sure if you're aware uh, but uh, the Amazigh had this tradition of tattooing themselves to uh, as part of their identity and also for uh, protection and other other things but I, I really found myself trying to categorize every symbol um, and I realized at the end that I couldn't because every symbol if, if you were to place the same symbol in another family or in another region or even in, in the next street it would have a completely different meaning and, and way of uh, identifying itself so that was really like eye-opening for me that it, it's essentially impossible to name every single thing and categorize everything and yeah, yeah. I think that's super interesting. Of uh, the, also this uh, this need that we have to well, thinking about the pi uh, BIPOC that I thought it was BIPOC <laughs> is is to crystallize certain things so that you feel like you have a grasp of them and that you understand them or that you're using the right words. But I think at the moment that that everybody's uh, using the same words, then it then it's weird. I, I think it's a bit weird because it's like uh, it's like it it gets defined and it gets again like even like a dominant discourse again maybe I don't know. And I also about including the L on BIPOC. I I didn't know that, but it feels a bit weird because of the Latino kind of what what is Latino and what like what. What is Latin America? Also thinking again about that, uh, the, the Americas and how the relation between all the, the our continent is. But yeah, just that uh, crystallizing words and discourses. Indeed, it's it's it it, it just makes it maybe not uh, less fun, and it makes you maybe even be scared to say or to talk because. Ah, if I don't know the right word, then I cannot talk to you. I mean, we look for it together, or you're honest. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that that's the thing is that, you know, and that's why I was kind of joking about not being woke enough, you know, uh, or something about being woke is that we we get into this policing of kind of each other's words. And, um, and, and you know, maybe it's also interesting to say that, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a joke also on the host, host you know, um, um, to add the L, you know, because they happen to be, interestingly enough, this host is half, half Mexican, half uh, Iranian. So, you know, it, you, you just, 
people just fall out of the basket all the time, you know, and that's why they were saying that it's really important to name who are you, t- let's be specific, you know, um, be specific and, 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 and say who you mean, you know. Um, but another thing that's interesting about that is that in the U.S. context, of course, we have to talk about, you know, the imperialism of U.S. knowledge, you know, the imperialism of black intellectual knowledge, especially these days, you know, um, we have to talk about that, right? Um, I think that's a really crucial and necessary discussion. Um, but um, one of the things that they were saying, though, is that by finding one unifying term, um, that it gives, it also gives power within this supremacist culture that we're in, you know, that, you know, if you are in the, um, in the census or something like that, you know, it, it gives some kind of power to say we are people of color and we are fighting this issue. Does that? Yeah. So that's that's kind of part of the reason why they they were saying this. I want to add something um, to what has been said. Just to come from the other side, I guess, is that sometimes um, simplifying things can make you know conversations easier or can can be like a starting point but we we actually need to realize the danger in simplifying anything um and and when i think of you know graphic design or art uh, as well you know the whole minimalist movement or you know the the, the simple simplifying of you know design or things there is a danger to that because you're essentially erasing this super complex and rich and deep history or, you know, the intricacy of some visuals, for instance. Um, so I guess it's like a bit of both, you know? Yeah, but there is something in that, what you said, Iman, I think there's something very interesting in this trying to name and categorize. So in my interpretation is we try and apply the strategies or the tools that we've been, you know, that we get from our education, and then we try and apply it on places that evade that, uh, it just doesn't work. And I love it. It's just like, there you go. One very simple thing of people creating signs and symbols <laughs> that have different meanings and you can't categorize them in the, in the essentially, you know, dominant way of, yeah. of creating an archive. Yeah. And I came across a book. I'm doing some research on food history. And this one American uh, author that translated a book from, I don't know, 15th century Aleppo cookbook. Uh, and he did the page numbering. The index was according to the Arabic way of indexing. And I was really like, wow, this is, this has transformed the way I can uh, move through a book of information. And it really made me also just jump to my mind as you were saying about the categorization and the inability to categorize and that there are other ways and maybe um, the Tamazigh people have their own way of categorizing that we need to follow a different logic uh, than the one that is, I don't know, so-called scientific or whatever it is. And I, I find freedom in those places. I like, anyway, I like places where they, you can't box them. I love it. It just brings me so much joy. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on social media at We Cannot Work Like This to stay connected. We hope you will tune in again for the next episode. Thanks again for your support. Stay safe until the next one.